Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another high resolution. I'm Seamus Byrne. This week, I've caught up with Nico King, co-founder and executive creative director of Chaos Theory Games, an independent game studio based out of Sydney, Australia. We caught up a few weeks ago ahead of the coronavirus outbreak in person, so let's all just dial it back and pretend that we're back in that lovely place. Chaos Theory is a great blend of pragmatism and idealism, creating games for brands to help them with marketing initiatives right through to Games for Good, helping charities, educators, and environmental causes to deliver fun and engaging experiences. They've worked with businesses as big as eBay, M&Ms, and Samsung to create mobile games and even AR and VR experiences. And then they've helped Sydney University gamify dermatology education and created the Bleached As game tie-in for a viral animated cartoon series. Really interesting chat about the business and the ambition. Here he is, Nico King from Chaos Theory Games. Easy place to start. Um, set the scene for us, uh, you know, who you are, what you do, uh, and uh, the company that you run. Sure. Uh, I'm Nico King. So creative director of chaos theory games um i founded chaos theory with my two best friends when we were about 12 years old uh so knew what we were going to call it knew what we wanted to do um and that was to solve big problems by creating inspirational games um and i think the name chaos theory really sums it up it's a drop in the bucket it's the ripple effect it's we we create some small inspirational game that has a profound impact on somebody's life and then they go on to uh to enter science or uh, do do research in a particular field or yeah start their own business um and yeah that affects the world and that's um kind of our mission that's awesome and i think i mean it's funny that you know, I often ask people, what made you dedicate yourself to games? The fact that you had this vision from so early on clearly seems like, you know, that, that that's, you know, there's something right there in the pit of your gut from back in the day that just made you think, yep, this is what I need to do with my life. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, I think it's probably genetic um, or just I was born that way because my, my parents were very technophobic. Uh, neither of my brothers were really into video games. Yeah, wow. But I was just absolutely obsessed um, and uh, like also very, very interested in like tycoon games and business and, um, and how, how I could get into it and what I could do. Um, so I think, yeah, I was just, I was born to, to do it and nothing was going to dissuade me and, and just kind of made it happen. Yeah. So, I mean, in your curveball question then, it's like, what do you feel like you learned some cool lessons from those tycoon games that when you came into the business world, you sort of went, actually, I've, I've had this feeling before or, you know, did you go, I was totally lied to by those games. No, I think it's, um, it's the goal setting and it's the, um, 
the persistence. Yeah. I think I think that's a it's a general video game uh, lesson that a lot of people learn is you keep trying and you try new things and failure isn't failure and you can just find a new way around. Mm. Um, so I think that is essential for business. Like the amount of times we've pivoted, come up with a new strategy, tried it out, hasn't worked exactly how we wanted it to, but opens up new doorways, new pathways, uh, and you jump on those opportunities uh, when they arise. Um, so yeah, it, it's hard to to do a like one to one link, but I think the yeah the persistence of video games is definitely key for business. Yeah, awesome. So, what do you feel like is you know uniquely chaos theory in terms of you know again we're you know we're catching up at Game Plus here in Sydney and there's lots of other people who make games. You know, what is it that you feel like you've carved out that has given chaos theory the opportunity to succeed? Um, I think we sit in a, a nice kind of niche between the more uh, educational games or, or serious games or applied games and games for entertainment. Um, I think we want to create games that appeal to the mass market but uh, push the envelope or g- give you something to do, give you something to learn, give you some way of, of having a real-world impact on your life or the world. Um, so yeah, creating games that inspire people, creating games that uh, solve real world problems is really what we're focused on, what we're really passionate about. Yeah. So let's dig into that a little bit because I think certainly, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a bit older in that first generation of, you know, educational games and things like that. It was like, you know, someone got given money to make, you know, a thing that was just as boring as doing a maths test on a piece of paper um but they you know put some graphics on it and called it a game Mm. um you know we've come a long way since then there's a much better conversation about gamification out there now you know what do you feel like are the hallmarks of doing a good job on these sorts of you know serious games type environment you know uh, efforts to like you say to actually have someone i guess have a great experience but then you know turn that into uh something that they're also learning from yeah, on the um the old kind of edutech games, um, the there's a really good uh, metaphor which is chocolate covered broccoli. It's you got the the learning which is broccoli. It's nutritious. <laughs> um, it's a quiz. It's a, a tried and true format. And then you got the uh, the chocolate which is the fun game. It's supposed to make it a bit more exciting. Um, but what you end up having is something that's like neither palatable nor nutritious. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, the game distracts from the learning and the, um, the learning keeps on interrupting the game and stopping it from being yeah, fun. Yeah. Um, I'm so, going to have to try to make some chalk cover broccoli <laughs> one day just to try it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, so yeah, I think the, the way uh, that the games are approaching it now and serious games are approaching it now is... Um, I think some of the best examples are experiential learning. So providing an environment for people to to do whatever they want um, mm. and having a models of real-world systems. Uh, like in Minecraft, you've got how computers work. Uh, and because it's, a, it's such a free environment that lets you experiment, try new things, uh, form ideas about how the world works, and then test them out, um, that's how we have always learnt in past, before, before traditional schooling. Mm. Uh, when we're in the real world, uh, that's how we learn. Um, in business, that's how you learn. So I think... The, the focus on experiential learning or, or allowing for, for that um, 
has created some of the more inspirational, exciting games that people get really invested in um, and, yeah, and can get really passionate about. Yeah. Um, so what do you feel like have been some of the hard moments on the journey so far as a business? You know, and I think it's – I you know, was talking to someone earlier about that same idea of, you know, the difference between, I guess, making some games and then being a business that makes games. Um, you know, have there been sort of some – hard points and milestones along the way so far that have made you sort of, you know, realize, okay, yeah, this is the point where we're really shifting to, to make this a a real business. Yeah. I think early on when it was just myself and two other founders, um, we made, we, we put a lot of our, our time and effort and blood, sweat and tears into making games that didn't have the, the, uh, radical success that we were expecting them to have. Um, and like we, we were uh, naively optimistic and, um, and loved every minute of the development, um, loved the games that we produced. Uh, but that's definitely a, a huge hurdle to overcome the, like the, the realization that it's harder than you think and it's going to require a lot of work. Um, but yeah, we, we, we overcame that. And I think we, we didn't see, um, we didn't see a space in the market where we could be getting paid to create these sort of games that we wanted to make. Um, so we started solving other people's problems with video games mm. um, and yeah, working with uh, universities, doing education, uh, working with some corporates, doing staff training. So they had these problems that they wanted to solve and yeah, we applied games to that. Um, and through that, we've formed some really good business partnerships and um and recently were able to work with some um environmental charities uh did a game about coral reef conservation um so i think it's all kind of coming together and it's about building that network um but yeah in terms of other challenges i think every year has its own own hurdles and um you go through a or we've gone through a cyclical um a kind of cycle of, of growth and then you get growing pains. So then you have to consolidate. And then uh, like once you solve all those problems, you grow again and new problems arise. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, definitely that initial, um, the initial hurdle of, um, of realizing that it's harder than you think is the, the hardest thing we've had to overcome. Yeah. Uh, what do you feel like, is getting better or that's getting harder in the time that you've been sort of working in this space. Um, you know, there's definitely sort of all sorts of changes in the industry. Um, and you know, they're never all bad. They're never all good. Um, but what are some of the things you stand out for you in terms of how you've kind of changed the approach, I guess, to, you know, to trying to succeed in, in this industry. Um, for us or for the industry? I, I mean, I guess, yeah, starting for you directly, but also, yeah, big picture thoughts if you do have them there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the like I'll, I'll start big picture because I think that influences yep. everything. I think the the barrier to entry for video game development has come down a lot uh, with tools like Unity, Unreal, um, and the like. Every everybody's online now. I think like twenty years ago it would have been very hard to get into video game development, and there was probably a a clearer path towards it. Um, but now, yeah, everybody's jumping on tutorials, everybody's making games, you can stick stuff on your phone. Um, so I think there's a lot more out there. There's a lot more competition. Um, the, it it seems like there are like these kind of golden windows where a platform or a, a new device comes out. Um, and yeah, the early adopters jump on it. They kind of, um, 
they get to get the the exposure and the publicity and they take take off they build big businesses off of it i think we're coming to the end or or maybe we're already at the end of when um, you can be successful on mobile without having a publisher. Just there are hundreds of games being released every day and it's very hard to cut through the noise. You've got to have big budgets to, to buy users. Um, so, yeah, I think over time, like we... Hmm, I don't know. It's it's hard to... to I guess reflect on your own own journey. Like yeah. it always it always seems so normal and so like oh we just sorted it out one yeah. one day at a time. <laughs> and I mean you're a relatively young founder as well, so you know there's certainly you know there's some of the people in the industry who you know lived through sort of the you know the sort of the the crash just before all the iOS stuff came along, which yeah. kind of like you say actually you know the timing ended up being pretty great for some of them to find that lifeboat on a whole new platform and new, new ideas in games. Mm. Um, but you know, I guess what do you feel like is that the next wave kind of looking like, you know, from here? So, you know, if it's not so much a reflection, then what do you feel like you're trying to prepare for in the, you know, in the next, uh, you know, we're sitting here at the start of a fresh new decade. You know, what are the, the things that are exciting you about sort of what's, what you need to be ready for next? Yeah. I think that, uh, it's, People have been saying it's the year of VR for a few years now, but I reckon 2020, it, it, it's really seems like it's having that mass market adoption. Uh, lots of great hardware is coming out. Um, I think it's with like, um, the all inside out tracking and the all in one headsets. It's becoming a lot less clunky, a lot better for consumers. Um, so I think now is probably the time to be, to be jumping on that. Like I, I know quite a few companies started up. Um, when the Oculus first came up and kind of ran out of funds because they, there wasn't yeah. enough people there, which is unfortunate. Um, and I'm keeping an eye on what Apple's up to. Uh, like we, we do quite a bit of work with augmented reality on phones. Um, and the rumors are that um, they, they're pushing AR so hard so that when they release their glasses or their headset, uh, there's a, a library of content already there. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think that mobile AR is at a point where you can create those really cool, uh, unique experiences. Uh, or you, you kind of can, but they're a bit clunky and, and not great. But mm. when the headsets come out, if, if people start buying them, if, if it takes, takes up uh, mass market adoption, there's going to be some amazing opportunities for game developers and game design. Um, and I, I'm more excited about that than I am about VR, just yeah. because I think bringing it into the real world um, is is quite closely aligns with what we want to do as a company, solving real world problems. Um, so yeah, I think that that's what I'm, I'm most excited on and keeping an eye on. So as soon as that comes out, I'm going to be buying one and yeah. booting it up and playing with it. Um, like, is there, are there any good examples that you've sampled so far in sort of that, um, not necessarily, you know, the AR space, cause definitely still very, you know, hard. I've, I've enjoyed some of the, you know, the iPad sort of interactions you can get, because almost like because it's got the bigger view field, it sort of feels a little bit more natural than you know trying to sort of do it through mm. a phone. Mm. Um, but you're right, sort of the way in which that can be applied to some of this sort of you know serious game space um, does feel like that AR in that environment could do some great work in in education and things. But yeah, I'm not sure if there's great examples out there yet, or if there's you know other VR experiences that you feel like you know have have made you 
feel like this is really going to work once more people have it? <laughs> yeah, I think um, with AR, there's some really good learning examples uh, where you've got yeah traditional um, like textbook uh, learning materials or flashcards and then you use augmented reality to kind of visualize what the oh, flashcards yeah. represent. Um, and then you can have interaction between the different flashcards. So one example is... Um, uh, a chemistry flashcard. So you've got the different elements, you can combine them um, and you see how the different elements combine um, and you can kind of yeah experiment and, and learn things that way. Um, in terms of games, there are a few cool uh, like buried treasure uh, augmented reality games where you can, uh, one person goes and uh, buries some treasure somewhere and the other person has to go and find it. Yeah. Um, so I think that sort of... Um, that sort of interaction with a mobile device is really cool and it's using the technology um, in a new novel way and uh, yeah, it just doesn't seem clunky. Um, with, with VR, like I, I really enjoy Tilt Brush. It's like not new at all, but I, when I use VR, I don't know, I, I like to create things. Yeah. I'm, I'm a lot more of a, a, like a strategy game player or like a creator or a tycoon game player. Um, so... Yeah, and like a lot of the best titles in VR are like action oriented. Yeah, um, and I've seen a few like grand strategy VR games, which I just haven't had the the inclination to try out yeah. yet. But or sorry, the the time to try out yet. Yeah. But there's something can. about sort of yeah that what kinds of engagement really do sort of make you want to keep playing in that sort of environment too. Right? Like we have a vibe set up at home, and I've got kids, and and you're sort of right that. Tilt brush is something that 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 kind of creative insertion um, is something that then it's like they'll then just happily do that for you know like mm. they'll forget that they've been doing it for forty minutes you know um, versus other things that almost like the act of gameplay is reminding them how long they've had the headset on yeah um, so there is something about just losing yourself in a creative experience that is quite different to you know, the, the action type experience. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's kind of about getting in flow and, and yeah, yeah, it's less, less intense and there's less like moments to break and you, you set your own objectives. You say, Oh, I'm going to create this. And then you discover along the way, Oh, like I could just tweak this little bit over here and like, Oh, this is looking good. I might try that out. It kind of just time runs away from you. And, um, and it's a nice relaxing experience. Uh, which is is what I go to more and more these days is, is things that will relax me and yeah. um, and kind of be a bit, bit zen. Yeah. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. 
You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life altering. And if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. So in terms of, you know, working with others, building out a team, you know, what are sort of some of the things that you've found, um, you know, that have been, I guess, you know, hard about hiring the right people or what are the things you look for in people when you're sort of looking to to bring someone else on board and, you know, get them to help bring your visions to life? Yeah, I think everybody's, everybody's different um, and it's very hard to find somebody that fits a mold. Um, that's that's one thing that we've kind of discovered is is that we, we need a certain role, but... Um, it's yeah you're never really going to find the perfect person for it yeah. so it's about finding people with complementary skill sets and then like filling in the gaps or um like training people up to to be able to to cover the the middle ground um yeah when we when we hire we're very interested in in like personality whether or not we're all going to get along um whether or not yeah we we all share the same vision and are going to be happy and passionate working on the same projects um and we we think that's more important than than pure skills um and yeah being being we're quite a young team so the three founders are 26 and um kind of everybody's a, a similar age so it's got a good good atmosphere and we're all similar life stages and similar hobbies and everything so um yeah it's been it's been it's been good it's been mm. fun and how do you like thinking about the fact that again sort of you operate out of game plus in sydney um do you find, you know, new people through sort of network effects kind of within a place like this, you know, or do you still sort of, you know, actively reach out to sort of create that sort of hiring window? Um, because definitely this whole sort of co-working thing feels like it's probably a little bit of, of both of just the collegiate atmosphere, but potentially, I guess, you know, meeting other people to collaborate with as well. Yeah, I think I think the Game Plus space has been really beneficial for us uh, because we are quite young. Uh, having the, um, the kind of socialization and just uh, day-to-day interaction with other senior developers, asking them quick questions, uh, seeing how they, they operate has been really beneficial just for us, uh, I guess, um, yeah, he- heading in the right direction. Um, in terms of how we hire, it's a combination. Quite often it's network effect. It's who do you know? Like we're looking for somebody. Um, and that's just uh, symptomatic of the fact that we'll, we'll get a contract and need somebody to start ASAP. And yeah, yeah that's, that's how it rolls. Yeah, when can I start? Yesterday. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for, uh, for more senior roles, it's usually traditional uh, hiring channels. So posting online and um, yeah, usually most applicants are coming from overseas or um, interstate just because yeah, people people get in a good role and seem to be pretty happy in that. Um, and it's only when people are, are changing cities that they're um, like looking, I guess. Mm. And almost like having come up here and realised it's directly across the street from AIE, 
almost wonder if it's like this gravitational effect of people sort of <laughs> drifting across the street and landing in a seat over here or something. <laughs> no, no, not, not, not yet. Um, but yeah, I think Ultimo seems to be a pretty uh, central space for the games industry uh, in Sydney, at least. Um, yeah, Wargaming is also just across the road, yeah. Stone, Stone's Throw Away. Um, AIT is, is really close. Um, who else is around? I know there are a, a few other a few other studios yeah. here, um, but no, I think it's 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 nice. It's kind of building a bit of a an atmosphere and a community. Yeah, and so with some of this sort of serious games work and some of the charity work and things, you know, how do you how do you open the door to sort of finding clients and you know finding people to work with in that kind of space? Because you know, again, um, it's one thing when people just go we've got a great idea for a game and we're just going to make a thing and then see what happens at the other end of the process. Yeah. Um, it's another thing when you are sort of actively seeking to work with and you know, collaborate with people who are trying to actually really achieve something through a game. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the charity work that we do in the, um, the games for change are quite often co-development. So it'd be another team that's, uh, got complementary skill set, like maybe they're in like digital media or in advertising, um, and they want to achieve something similar. So we we collaborate, both funded ourselves. Uh, it's very yeah, very difficult to to find a charity that has the money to pay for anything. Um, <laughs> like they're they're um, volunteer rich and time, uh, and money poor, yeah. Um, but yeah, they they're able to contribute um, a lot to the project, a lot of research, um, and yeah, give that um, that um, kind of legitimacy to the project, which is which is always good. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I think it's it's about being being consistent, being uh, being there, being in the right circles, uh, meeting the right teams to collaborate with, and um, like everybody's usually pretty keen to help out and uh, and collaborate as long as there's a, a strong vision and a, and a drive. Mm. I mean, can you, like, let's dig in on that example of the, you know, the coral reef sort of mm-hmm. work. Um, you know, how, how did, where did that begin? And then what's that process of going, oh, okay, we, you know, here's an idea. Um, we're now arriving at that point where we've, you know, we're working on and, and then releasing a, a product. Sure. Um, the do, do you remember Beach Daz, the old viral internet video that was a kiwi whale on a oh, beach? Yes. And, oh no! Oh no! I'm so beached. <laughs> yeah. um, so we met the original creators of that um, just through a mutual connection, um, yeah. discussing a game project, um, and they were creating season three at the time. They were creating season three for Beach Daz, which was uh, about ocean sustainability um so they had 10 different episodes that were about various um kind of issues that our our oceans are facing um and yeah we like we just kind of headed off and said like oh it'd be really cool to make an interactive project here um and yeah brainstormed a few ideas pitched it to them they loved it uh they did all of the the voice acting um and yeah came up with a little bit of the the creative um juices behind it all or yeah. the the magic um and we yeah we did all the builds and did all the art and everything put it all together um and yeah they introduced us to a few environmental charities and we uh, pulled in quite a few kind of um different um like environmental facts and um yeah just made it a little bit more educational and then yeah it all kind of came together we launched it at the same time that they launched um their their season and yeah 
that's kind of how it all came together. Yeah, cool. And so then, you know, how was that? How does that then get supported in some way? Someone sponsor, or is that really sort of you know a side project that that you're sort of doing while you're then working on other things that actually you know pays the bills? Yeah, <laughs> more, more more of a side project. Yeah. It was like we yeah we believe in the power of games, and sometimes you need to to be the one that backs it to to yeah. showcase everybody to everybody. Um, yeah, how, how to do it, how to do it right. Um, so yeah, like eventually would would love for for charities or probably organizations that are looking to to do a bit of good um to collaborate with us and and put some money behind it because i'm sure we could speak with a much louder voice and and achieve a lot more um but yeah for now it's where we're funding this sort of stuff off our own back yeah um and so then what are the kinds of you know work that pays well are you you know like just to help paint the picture for Mm -hmm. for people listening you know is there your own IP is it work for hire? What kinds of other sorts of game dev are you actually sort of producing? Uh, so it's uh, almost entirely work for hire. Yep. Um, we work with um, yeah a few brands to do uh, marketing or um, like experiential activation yeah, sort right. of stuff. Yeah. We work with universities to do research projects um, and educational apps. Uh, we work for some corporates doing staff training, um, and uh, then we've got a few entertainment. Clients, so those are um, uh, companies or individuals that want to uh, make a game or need some additional resourcing on their game, um, and yeah, we we help them out with that. Um, and I think the the combination of those those kind of three uh, fields or industries is really great for us um, because the educational work kind of teaches us how to how to change people's behavior and yeah. and teach them about things. Um, the marketing work we're working with a lot of great brands. Um, and working with their marketing departments. And I think that's where a lot of money can come from for doing these, like these games for change or social impact yeah. uh, kind of projects. Um, and then the ent- entertainment is how do we make it fun and engaging? Um, so yeah, it's really perfect for how we want to, to go about, um, solving big problems. Yeah. So what does a modern, uh, corporate training game experience look like? Cause the last time I had to, and it's not that long ago that I had to sit through a corporate training module. It was still these videos that looked like they were made in the 90s teaching us about, you know, ethics in business. And you're like, how is this still being used? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's still a bit of that going on. Like the the budget for those projects usually gets diverted elsewhere in terms of focusing on the, the learning and development or creating additional content. Um, so they can look a bit primitive, but... Um, I think yeah, it's it's getting again getting back to the uh, uh, lowering uh, the bar entry bar the yeah bar bar to entry barrier yeah Bar- that's barrier. the one there we go. Yeah. lowering the barrier to entry um, the the sorts of experiences lacking in in visual fidelity but if you're doing a staff training program the alternative is like hit the textbooks so <laughs> yeah. I, I'm all in um, <laughs> but yeah it's, it's, uh, one of the projects that we've worked on in the past was a uh, role-playing uh, mixed reality experience where you're uh, you're doing a series of challenges to role-play as somebody that's suffering from a crippling disease. Um, so it'll be like run to the bathroom or you've got to go home now for half an hour uh, and then come back. And 
they gave it to all of their staff um, to help build empathy with sufferers of crippling disease. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then then they kind of interviewed all their staff and said, "Well, what do you think now?" And they're like, oh, "It interrupts my life a lot. It's really inconvenient. Like these these things are um, yeah. Like I care a lot more about this now." Um, so yeah, I think there are, there are cool like cool ways to approach the problem. Um, it's just about yeah having the the right problems to solve. Yeah. Um, so when we then think about, because, you know, I think it's probably an important area to discuss is, you know, that there are so many of these kind of great opportunities to create games with positive outcomes, um, that it does seem like, you know, that the opportunity to, you know, win some kind of funding from somewhere to help more of that happen in a, like saying in a way that could reach more people, um, that's still a bit of a struggle, at least here in Australia. I mean, I'm not sure if, you know, are you aware of are other countries doing a better job of sort of supporting those kinds of initiatives or, or is it just something that, you know, is still just a bit out on a limb, you know, in most places that we hear about it? Uh, yes, those, those sorts of initiatives do exist. Uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, so there's but, not that many. <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're, they're yeah. not, they're not, uh, they're few and far between. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the time I've seen it's private industry or it's, um, it's sometimes a, a charity like um, UNICEF or, um, um, or like some of the other big ones will put some money behind a project. Um, but yeah, that's, that's not, as common mm. so it feels like yeah there's a lot of untapped potential there but again it always attaches to the will of you know of some organization or some body to try to actually say this is probably the next thing we should support instead of just making another video or whatever it might be yeah and i think that's just kind of where we are in society yeah. at the moment um how um how the more traditional politicians and, and business owners still view games. Um, and that's, that's another thing that we, we would love to change and are working to change is creating, creating these example experiences to say, look, this is how you can do it. Uh, this is how to do it right. Uh, we can do it for you too. Um, so I think as, as, the, as society shifts more towards seeing games as a legitimate art form and uh, embracing them more in, in staff training, in, in, in corporate, um, corporate environments, I think that will shift public sentiment and then we'll see more of those uh, games of social change kind of blossoming. Mm. I mean, how do, I don't know if it does, so this is sort of a total random thought, but you know, do you feel like, uh, you know, sort of streamers and some of those sorts of, almost like influencer environments can somehow, you know, do, do they have a role to play in sort of showing off some of this stuff in interesting ways? You know, yeah, because obviously you've got your specialist streamers, but then you do have these variety streamers who, you know, sometimes will jump on just some random fun thing to show off to people. And it almost feels like that that'd be an interesting avenue for sort of some of this stuff to, to also kind of expand its reach within that audience of people who already care about games too. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it, it isn't something that I've um, I've really thought about before, but every single bit helps. And like they they are they have a huge kind of audience, a huge platform, um, and they can amplify the message. Definitely. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think as yeah, as more games are made in the space, uh, at, like more options for like I, I'd say that a lot of those games for social change probably aren't the best thing to be streaming just from like an entertainment perspective. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. Uh, it's probably like, oh, can be like, pretty emotional or, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and, and again, it kind of yeah. touches on the, like a lot of them are trying to do a lot with a very limited budget. Yeah, yeah. So like 
it's yeah it's hard to compete in the entertainment industry yeah when you're like working on a games for change budget yeah um but yeah i mean like I definitely think some games are suited to it. Like the um, the coral reef conservation game we made, Bleach Dares. So heaps of voice acting. It's all about the narrative between the characters. Something like that. Good, 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 good to stream. Um, a few of the other ones I've seen around like simulation stuff. Maybe not so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what are the kind of things that really you know excite you most about you know the the future of of making games? I think. It's a very big picture question. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a hard question to answer because I think games can do essentially anything. I think they're just simulated world, simulated environments where we can do whatever we want. It's you you can make magic real, you can remove the laws of physics, you can tweak things, um, and and it's all possible. So that's the thing that excites me most. I I think in the short term or in the immediate future, it's having having the world uh, kind of change change their perception of games. Um, and take them more seriously and start having these discussions like how we analyze film at the moment. Like we should be having those discussions. Like if you, if you look at a, a game review or a, a game analysis, usually it's very high level surface level. Like it has these mechanics, had these like story plot points, yeah. doesn't dive down into the like, well, what did they mean? What were they trying to achieve here? Um, and like it's some, some game reviewers are, are starting to delve into that. Um, and like academia is starting to del- delve into that. But yeah, the, the, the faster we can advance that, the, the quicker that the public is going to realize, oh, there is, there is more being said here. Um, and then I'm going to start looking for it in games because until people start looking for it in games, nobody's going to find it. Yeah. And I think that really excites me because it means we can have more complex discussions. We can tackle more, um, yeah, complex subject matter. Um, and yeah, it's going to be awesome. It's a good point that. It's a rare thing to read a movie review that sort of just says <laughs> the camera did this and the the lighting person did this and you know like it's just yeah. here's the factual list of of how it looked. So, yeah, the, the the costume design was really good. Um, the actors in scene four like went to the beach and they went for a swim. Yeah, um, and I really enjoyed them the going swimming for a swim. Looked realistic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Um. Have I missed anything else kind of interesting that about, you know, what you guys are doing that you feel like we haven't touched on or that, uh, you know, whether it's the, the Sydney scene or the Game Plus environment, any other elements that you think are worth uh, bringing up? Mm, not very good at talking about myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're no. right. It's like, yeah, the, the sales pitch stuff sometimes where it's like going, I've done these really cool things. That, that bit can be really hard. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're, we're working on another uh, coral reef conservation game. Right. Um, which is a bit bigger in scope and um, and has more kind of mass market appeal. So it's it's a space that we're really interested in, and I think it's kind of it's primed for that uh, like mass market gamification games for change, but kind of like undercover. Like people don't know that it's like a like a games for change, like trying to change your behavior. But it just has a has a, an appeal, and people go, "Oh, I want to play this. I want to get involved." Yeah. Um, and then by loving the game, by being really inspired by it, might change their behavior. Um, yeah, yeah. And just just with the 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 like bushfires and and like floods and the world blowing up, it's kind of plagues. Yeah. Baboons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So. 
I'm I'm very excited about about that future project. Thanks again to Nico King from Chaos Theory Games and thanks to IGEA, the Interactive Games and Entertainment Alliance, for helping put this series of podcasts together, interviewing all these great Australian game developers. I'll be back soon with more high resolution and you can catch more podcasts on the ByteSide podcast network. Just go and check it all out at ByteSide.com. If you have any comments or you want to shout out, uh, contact me via ask at ByteSide.com and I'll get back to you. Maybe we'll set up an interview. Until next time, keep on gaming. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.